Amen. Thank you so much for that. Amen. Really appreciate that. Stepping up at late notice to help out with the Bible reading. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you. <clears throat> well, good morning. Obviously, um, we are looking at Genesis chapter 11 this morning. And uh, I'm not sure what you're thinking as you heard that passage being read or as you've read it yourself. Um, some of you will be well aware of what this story encompasses and what it's about. Some of you perhaps have only just heard it for the first time or are not very familiar with it at all. And there's many theories or thoughts uh, about this chapter of Scripture and what is actually going on. So hopefully this morning as we move through it, um, we'll all learn something new. And the one thing that we can say about this chapter without doubt is that the actions of these people was highly offensive to God. That goes without question. And so offensive, in fact, that God took steps to intervene and to change the course that they were following and to ensure that what they were doing would not continue. Let's just pause and pray. Father God, thank you so much that we can be gathered here this morning. And Lord, we just pray now that you'll be present with us in a very real way, that you'll open our hearts, our minds and our ears to hear from you that we will hear the truth of your word this morning. And more than that, Lord, we will question ourselves and be willing to change whatever needs to change in order that we may draw closer to you. Minister to us this morning, I pray, Father, by Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we approach this chapter this morning... It's worth mentioning that um, chapter 10, in all reality, really comes after chapter 11. But the genealogy and everything that is mentioned in chapter 10 is about Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah, through to Terah, who was actually Abraham's father. And so that's what occurs in uh, chapter 10. But when it mentions these genealogies, it actually mentions the divisions uh, amongst the people by language and by clan. And of course, when we come to chapter 11, uh, we're told in that very first verse that they all had one common language. So obviously, chapter 10 is an outlying of what's going to happen in the coming chapters. And then chapter 11 goes back and explains just one aspect of what is mentioned in chapter 10. So chapter 11 is that account of how the language came to be different and that which caused the divisions. Also, when we look back in chapter 10, this is what we read. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Eric, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. And we have this account of Nimrod, a mighty man. And chapter 10 here speaks of Nimrod's exploits. And all the, although in chapter 11 it doesn't mention him by name, we know from this passage that Babel was the initial city which he built. And this is, there is an account also written by Josephus, a Jewish historian. It's a very interesting account. And to be honest, I find it a little bit difficult um, to believe. But um, Josephus says that Nimrod was a bit ticked off with God for wiping out his ancestors, those other great men. And so he built the Tower of Babel in protest of God wiping out um, those people and and so uh, the belief was that if another flood came this tower would be so mighty and so great that they'd be able to rise above the floodwaters now 
Whether that's true or not, I don't know. It's certainly the way Josephus recorded it. And, uh, but it goes without saying, one of the major issues that we're facing in this chapter is man's arrogance. The description that Moses gives about how mankind arrived at this point is brief, but it says everything that we need to know. Genesis 1 and 2 says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And the world at this time had one language. Just think about that. If the entire world had one language even now, if all humanity had a common language. These people had descended from Noah and each of them had heard the accounts of what God had done with the great flood and heard the warnings about that. And realistically, we would think that one common language would bring unity of purpose, that there would be this greater following of God and his teachings and things like that. And certainly, if one language was to come back to the world today, I think most people would believe that that would bring greater unity. Unfortunately, the opposite seems to be true. And I've used the NIV here because um, the ESV actually says that they migrated from the east. And although that's actually true of the translation, this is possibly more accurate where it says people moved eastward and any time moving eastward is mentioned in referring to people in particularly genesis but in the old testament it's speaking of them moving further away from god so as you read through scripture especially the old testament you hear of people moving eastward it is that move further away from God. When Adam and Eve uh, left the Garden of Eden, they moved east. When Lot separates from Abraham because they had so many possessions and things like that, he moved eastward and ends up in the godless cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The sons that Abraham had through his concubines were sent eastward away from his son Isaac, who was the man of God. And when Jacob fled, he fled his land to the land of the east. In each and every case, these people moved further away from God. And so moving in Genesis is associated with rebellion against God. And it's particularly true of those who've settled in the plain of Shinar. Genesis 9.1 tells us, this is straight after the flood, and God blessed Noah and his sons and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And this command here is about dispersing. This command here is to move throughout all of the earth. And, but in the passage we're looking at today, they, they've decided to ignore uh, what God has said and they've decided that they're going to settle together they've decided they're going to come to this place and work together in direct opposition of God's command to fill the whole earth and so those who are gathered they're invited to be part of this work this great project that they were going to do and they said to one another come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly and so they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar and Nimrod has this vision to build this great city. And regardless of his motivation, it is clear that there's a determination to resist God's command to disperse. Genesis 11:4 says, And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They wanted to make a name for themselves. 
And this was a city that was built by man and for man. It was constructed for man's glory. And so man could make a name for himself. It had nothing to do with God. And it was not just a desire for a reputation. It was a desire for independence from God. Man was building this tower and they were building it with its top in the heavens. They believed that they could, by their own power and their own ability, either join God or even displace God. It's believed that this tower was actually a ziggurat. And these are solid structures that are multi-staged. They look like very large steps as they're built, almost like a pyramid, uh, except for these large steps. And there are many theories as to whether this Tower of Babel was intended for um, astrological or zodiac worship or whether they were worshipping another god or whatever. But what we hear from Romans is that they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And those people who were involved in building the Tower of Babel had rejected God. And when you reject God, it's natural for something else to come in and take his place. And so something took the place of God in the lives of those building the Tower of Babel. And it is believed that they created another religion. We don't know what that religion was, but that is a general consensus amongst most commentators. But what we do know is, when Scripture mentions false religions... They're all traced back to Babylon, every one of them. And I don't think it could be stated more clearly than here in Revelation 7, 5, which somehow is not up there. <laughs> Revelation 17, 5, sorry, says, And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. Anything that's opposed to God is a child of Babylon itself. These people were opposing God. They were arrogant. They were self-centered. They were self-righteous. They were proud. And they were in rebellion of God and his direct commands. And they thought they'd get away with it. They didn't think God would act. And the thing is, God was aware Now, I'm not 100% sure what's meant by this next verse, but I'll give you one idea. 11.5 said, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Does God really need to come down to see this tower? Not the God I worship. So is this godly satire? Is God being funny? Is he being sarcastic? And... I, I don't know. But man builds this huge tower. He thinks this is the most magnificent thing. He thinks this is going to change the world. They think this is going to be a rallying point for people. And so they're building this, reaching to the heavens against the almighty, the all-powerful, the omnipresent God who comes down to look at their tower. And when we think about who God is, I think Isaiah explains it fairly well. God is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. 
And as I've indicated, you know, I, I could be a bit out of line with my interpretation here, but I have this image of God, you know, it's like, well, where is this great tower? And so he comes down to earth, and, and I, have this, I have this image of God on his hands and knees pointing towards the tower with his fingers, like, this is the tower? Because when we think about a God like this, what is anything that man can construct, comparatively speaking? And he squints. Oh, I see it. Yep, this tower's incredible, isn't it? absolutely brilliant but what is clear is that these people have deserted God they've gone their own way and they've rejected him they've chosen to replace him with a religion of their own and although God often tolerates rebellion for a time he doesn't tolerate forever and he won't delay forever and that's certainly the case in this story God does have corrective action God's not threatened by the corporate potential of these people gathering together but he is concerned about what will happen to mankind if they're permitted to follow this course without correction they will continue down this road of self-sufficiency and false religion and ultimately be so alienated from God that there'll be no hope of them returning. They'll have hearts so hardened against him, they will never hear his voice again. And so Genesis 11, 6 to 7, tells, 6 to 8, sorry, tells us, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the whole earth, and they left off building the city. God's judgment comes, but not in the way that anyone expected. I don't think they would have ever dreamed of this. And if man was permitted to continue down the path that they'd taken, they will suppress the purposes of God and pursue their own purposes and desires. And with incredible ease, incredible ease, God confuses their language. He causes them to cease building this tower. The project is deserted. And this is an illustration of God's great and incredible mercy. He defeats the purpose of man, in this case, in order to prevent them from injuring themselves further. And ultimately, his original command to disperse and multiply and fill the earth is realized. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And the verb Bilal means to confuse. And that is where the word Babel comes from. God very simply and very easily confuses their language. And as a result, the one thing they seem to fear comes to pass. They dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And these people wanted to make a name for themselves, and they thought that they could do it by rejecting God. And what is incredible is the genealogy that is mentioned after this story in chapter 11. Abraham is amongst it. 
And so 11.26 says, When Terah had lived, picking up from chapter 10, when Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abraham, Nah, oh, sorry, Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Abraham is a man who is remembered for the faith he had in God. Abraham was happy to serve God faithfully, diligently, whatever God wanted him to do. He didn't always get it right. He didn't always appear to be that man of God that we know him to be. But he continually returned to God. And I love God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 too, especially in light of what we've read this morning. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Here's a man who simply wanted to serve God, who wanted to follow him wherever he was called, whatever he's told to do. And it is this man that God chooses to make his name great. What does this mean for us? I want you to really think about this. Are we guilty of moving east? Are there things in our lives that have moved us away from God? It always starts with a subtlety. It always starts with something that doesn't seem that bad. But we find ourselves in a position where we're no longer within God's will. We're no longer doing what he would have us to do. We have compromised decisions within our lives. We may have habitual sin and addictions. And for many of us, it seems so much easier just to stay there, to be gathered with those who are like-minded, who are willing to do the same thing. Is that you? Are we building towers that we haven't even asked God about? Are we looking at a career which we haven't included God in? Are we choosing partners for ourselves that we haven't prayed about and asked God if that's the person for us? Even when it comes to church, I had a young couple that I've mentored for a number of years who recently returned to this area and uh, I phoned them to see what church they were attending and um, they told me about this church and they said but we didn't ask God and I said well praise God brother because I've been praying about it and I think Sunnybank would be a good fit for you and he said you didn't let me finish and he had been praying about his church on the way home from the church that he was at and he had an idea of the church that he wanted to go to and he said but Charlie God's told me to return to my old church, church I don't like, and so I'm going. And there's something special about being in the middle of God's will. It's not always easy. It's not always good. It's much easier to follow the pack and do what the pack would have you to do. But if what you're doing is not building for God and his kingdom, if you're not building upon the firm foundation of faith that we originally had, You're in trouble. You're in trouble. Those who are building the Tower of Babel rejected God. There would have been a spiritual aspect to what they were doing, but they've moved so far away from him and his teachings that they're self-absorbed. They're caught up in their own pursuits. What are you doing that rejects God? 
So many of us have that spiritual facade where we even tell people how spiritual we are. And yet our very actions indicate we're anything but. If anything you do contradicts scripture, you've got a problem. And I can't sort it out. You need to sort it out. What are you doing that shows you reject God? Are you making a name for yourself? I have a particular bugbear. I suppose it's because I was in a regional area for most of my life. And we used to get a lot of evangelists come through. And you'd meet these evangelists for the first time. Hi, I'm Charlie. I'm a prophet. Hi, I'm Charlie. I've got the gift of healing. Hi, I'm Charlie. I'm a great evangelist. What a load of crock. I mean, seriously. Don't ever come up to me and tell me that you're a prophet or a healer or anything like that. I will slap you up the side of the head with a smelly trout. Because seriously, if you've got the gift of healing, don't tell people, just heal people. If you've got the gift of prophecy, prophesy. And people will look at you and go, you know what? He's got the gift of healing. He's got the gift of prophecy. He's a great man of God. Not because he says it, because he lives it or she lives it. And I tell you what, I know this guy. He is the most humble man I know. And he has this incredible gift of healing. You ask him about it, he goes, no, I just pray for people. But I, I know dozens, literally dozens of people that this guy has prayed for and they've been healed. And I don't know too many people who've got that sort of track record. But again, he doesn't see himself as a healer. He's just doing what God's called him to do. And that's the way we should be living. If you're saying, I'm this, I'm that, Holy Spirit this, Holy Spirit that, you're trying to get a name for yourself. You're not living for Jesus. Because that is a boast. And in Scripture, we're told not to boast. Not in anything. Pride and ego is one of the things that are continually said about these people in the Tower of Babel. We're not to have it in our church. These people that we're reading about today have moved a long way from their spiritual roots in God. Can you think about that first? Can you think about that first time you gave your life to Jesus, the first time you encountered him? What was that like? It was pretty euphoric for me. I, I, I just remember how amazing it was, how beautiful everything seemed that night. And I thought about Jesus and all he'd done for me. I was brought to tears. And that foundation that was laid, the Lord Jesus Christ, the forgiveness you've experienced in him, the freedom you've experienced in Christ, is that true for you today? Is that still the foundation that you have? My hope is that that is the foundation you have and that you've moved on building upon that foundation. But if that has faded, we worship this God who wants you back. There is nothing you have done, nothing you can ever do that will create great separation between you and him. The only separation that's created for you is you're believing the lies that Satan is telling you. You believe that you can't be forgiven for what you've done. You believe that God won't accept you back. And that is a lie. 
God waits with arms wide open. Think about the story of the prodigal sons. He wants the one near to him to come to him. He wants the one who is far off doing terrible things to come. Are you building on that sure foundation or are you building on something else? This passage today should cause us to pause and think about our attitudes and actions. And if anything we do is not honouring to God, we need to address it. God found the actions of those building the Tower of Babel highly offensive. And God left them to their own devices for a while. They were able to build quite a bit of this tower. But he didn't tarry forever. His judgment came. And his judgment will come if you continue to ignore his promptings. He will not wait forever. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your incredible power, your incredible might. And Lord, when we think of that all-supreme, all-reigning God, it's scary to think of that power if it were ever to be unleashed upon us. But Lord, mixed in with that power and might is this incredible love and grace that you pour out upon us so freely. And Lord, my desire this morning is that we as a people will know your power in that love and grace. That for many of us, Lord, we will sense you coming near. We'll sense your forgiveness being poured out upon us. And Lord, we'll be prompted to act. Father, we want to be a people who are united for the right purposes, Lord, pursuing you for who you are and not for our own agendas, Lord. And so, Lord, please use this time by power of Holy Spirit to mix and mingle amongst us. Speak to those who have a need to hear your voice, I ask, Lord. And bring us to that point of unity where, Lord, we'll be a desperate people pursuing you with all we are for all we're worth. In Jesus' name, amen.